All right. As we jump into this message titled, I Came for Jacobs, and we enter into part four, I really hope that as we stated four weeks ago, that this phrase, I'll do it later, has ceased being an excuse for us, or at least trying to stop making it an excuse for us. Remember that we discussed that this phrase could mean many things. I'll do it later. Could mean what? Stop bothering me. I'll do it later. I'll do it later means what? I really don't know how to do it. I'll do it later means what? I just don't want to confront those things right now. I'll do it later means what? I don't know. I'm ashamed. It could, be, it could mean so many things, but you and I use the words, I'll do it later as a cover-up for some issue that is so much more deeper and intense that needs to be confronted. Amen? And that's what we've been talking about. That cushion of the phrase, I'll do it later. Because as we learned weeks ago, later is not promised to what? Yeah. To us, to any man. You know, I've known so many individuals that have actually said, I'll do it later. And in them saying, I'll do it later, I'll I'll fix my problem later. And they say it time and time again, and then they never do. And because they never do it, the result of such actions or lack of actions, what it does is it causes them to lose something very special to them. It causes them to lose something or even lose it all. Because they sat on it, because they waited, and then they find themselves in a place where it might feel for them that it's too late. Anyone ever been there? It's too late. Should have done something about this earlier. And then I started to think about me and us and man and people, us, how we are. How many of us could be honest and say this? We seem to only be able or want to fix things or work on things when in reality it's already too late. When it's too late. Man, it's a bad time to start. Time is running out, church. How many of you can say amen? I know that sounds weird, right? It's like a negative, but it's actually a positive for the believer. Time is running out. There's no room for I'll do it later. We live in the now, and we are to act now. How many of you can say amen? Amen. Benjamin Franklin, who would have thought he said these words? You may delay, but time will not. Did you guys hear that? You may delay, but time will not. The foundational verse for this, for this series is Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. You guys better have memorized this verse already. You guys better have memorized this verse already. Come on. It's up there, isn't it? Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. What is it? Oh, I'm about to rebuke all of y'all. Come on. The lazy man says what? There's a lion outside. I will be what? Slain or I shall be killed in the streets. And and, and that's Proverbs 22, 13. The the lazy man, the sluggard man, he says that there's a lion outside. If I go out there, I will be killed in the streets. And that's what we have been talking about every single week for four weeks. We're discussing facing the lions in your life. Confronting the lions. And I said something a few weeks ago. I said this. What did I say? I said, you will never overcome your obstacle. You will never overcome the lion until you what? Confront it. Obstacles in your life are meant to confront so that we can overcome them. Now, have you ever had the Lord just tug at your heart? Tug at you. Literally about just making things right in your life. How many of you have had the Lord tug at you? Say, you got to make those areas in your life right. How many of you? All right, most of you, most of the church, you felt the Lord tug at you and say these words to your heart, get back to where I called you to be. Huh? How about this? Trust me in this. Man, you'll be amazed. Okay, Lord, it's very hard to trust you. And God says, trust me in this. I want to look at the life today of one man, one man in the Bible. One who, since the day he was born, he began to travel down the wrong direction. Deep down, listen to what I'm going to tell you, he wanted the right things, but he continued to go about them in the wrong way. How many of you guys know that that's the recipe of this disaster? Wanting the right thing, but going about it the wrong way, huh? You know, all right, let's keep going. 
And then this one man, because he kept running from the truth, he wanted what was right but kept doing what was wrong. How many of you want what is right but keep doing what is wrong? You want what is right, but you keep running to what is wrong. And finally, in the scriptures, as we look into this today, we're going to see that the Lord has to chase this man down, persevere after him. And after he does this, he makes him see who his true self is in order for him to realign his life to the person that God wanted him to be or was calling him to be, this man needed to realign and see himself for who he really was. I want to give you the definition before we get into this man. The definition of realign. Some of you guys are like, that's easy, dude. I know what it is. Well, I'm going to give it to you just in case. The definition for realign is such. Here it is. It is to change or restore one's position or attitude. To, to put back in order the position that you once held. The attitude that God's called you to have. To realign yourself. So who is the man that I'm going to talk to you guys about today? Does anyone know who this man is just by giving some sort of um, hints? Um, anyone that has the notes for this message because you do something here cannot scream it? Jacob. Jacob is this person that I want to talk to you guys about. See, sometimes we feel like we must listen to what I wrote here. Sometimes we feel like we must perform. So many times we feel like we must act out. We, we must do things in order for, for all these things to be right in our lives. Dude, I, I'm going to help you. I'm going to relieve you from some stress. Ready? There is nothing that you can do. There is no performance great enough that can cause Christ to love you anymore. Like it's already done in Jesus. Amen? And sometimes we do that. We, we, we perform and we're drained and we're burdened. And God's like, it's because I never called you to perform like that. Because I don't give to the best performers. This is not a show and this is not a stage is what God is saying. This is not a masquerade that you perform before the people. I wrote this down. See, the answer is not to solely just focus on obedience in every aspect in your life. That's not just the only answer. This is what I'm about to tell you. That this book, that prayer, that worship, that our faith as a whole just becomes so traditional that we lose our heart in it. That's dangerous. Like, come on, can we be real honest in your life? Because that's, I think we're an honest church, are we? Like, how many of you came to worship, but you know that nothing in you was able to worship God? Come on, don't raise your hand. But, but you know that's the truth. You couldn't do it. You couldn't even pray. You couldn't even sing a song. When they say lift up your hands, I was like, oh, I can't. Well, why can't you? Is it because the prayer and the word of God and because worship and his presence has become so traditional that you lost your heart in worship? Is it because you lost your heart in this word? Come on, I, I mean, we could just lie and say, Jesus loves you and he does and, you know, think positive thoughts and you're all going to be okay. Or we could be the truth here. Have we lost heart to the things of God? What's the answer then, Regal? The answer is holiness, church. Can I get an Amen. The answer is realigning ourselves to the Lord. Him as our one true God. And there is where our hearts will never be lost. There. Not in performance. In holiness. Is where your heart will never be lost. There is where the true nature and essence of who he created us to be will be found. Right there, in his holiness, is where our hearts become alive or alive again. In his holiness is where our heart beats with passion. Amen? Before we get into the life of Jacob, write this down in your notes. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. And I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. When you're there, give me an amen and I'll read it. Romans 13, 11 through 14. Anyone there? 
Look what Paul tells the Romans. Guys, this is going to be a foundational verse as we close the sermon later on. Watch this. Paul says, and do this, knowing the time that, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. But look what he says next. Therefore, let us cast off. You guys see that? That word in the Greek means, therefore, let us put away. Be done with. Cast off. Well, put away and cast off what, church? What does he say next? All the works of darkness. Put it away. Cast it off. Do away with it. And watch what he says next. Because you all know that when you put off something, then you're called to what? Put something else back on. When you get home today and you change clothes, right? Don't you take off, cast off, put off to then what? Re-put and put on again? So he says, put away the works of darkness. But then he says, and let us put on the armor of light. What, what he's saying is what? Put away and put on something else. Walk properly in verse 13. As the day, as in the day. But do not walk in revelry or in drunkenness, not in lewdness or in lust, not in strife or in envy. Come on, guys. Everyone, look at verse 14. But what? Yeah. But you put on. And you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, listen. And you make no provision for the flesh or for its lust. Guys, can I, can I, can I change that a little bit? You make no room for sin in your life. Make no room for lust. Make no room for the flesh. Why? Because time is running. What? Salvation is nearer than when you... You know what Paul's saying there? Jesus is coming. He's coming so soon that you need to put away things that are ungodly. And because he's coming so soon, you need to put on Jesus. When, church? When? Now. He's like, right now you do it. Hey, can I ask you guys a question? Does this sound like an attitude of, eh, I'll do it later? No way, man. There's no way that you could read Romans chapter 13 and say, Paul, Paul says to do it later. Absolutely not. It seems like Paul was making a serious point here to the listener. And the point was, time's running out. He's coming soon. Listen, put off all darkness and put on Christ. What does he mean? Put on your light. Take off your darkness. So what are things that are not fitting, man? Put it all away. Sins of addiction, drinking, partying, sexual sins, social sins, gossiping, jealousies, envy. Put them away. How many of you could say amen? I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 35 as we kind of went through the introduction and look at the life of Jacob real quick. In Genesis 35, we see Jacob, very interesting fellow. But before we start reading chapter 35, I got to give you a summary because you're never going to understand what we're going to talk about today if you don't know anything about Jacob's life. So because of sake of time, I can't stand here and walk you through Chapters 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, and 34. So I'm going to really quick just summarize those chapters. Let me explain to you what's going on here in Jacob's life. Just follow with me for one moment, please. In Jacob's life, he was born. He was born to parents who had some serious issues. Parents that favored children. Parents that neglected a child and... It was unfortunate when Jacob was born, he was, one, he was a twin. He was one of two. And his brother was born first. Uh, Jacob's brother's name was Esau. Just follow with me. When Esau was coming out and he was being born, Scripture describes very detailed that Jacob was right behind him. <laughs> but like Jacob would do, he is right behind him, but one of his hands is clinched on 
to the ankle, to the feet of his brother Esau. Can you just imagine there being in the delivery room? And you're taking out one baby, and as one baby's coming out, you see the arm of the other one say, ah, 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 He's almost like, ah, bring him back in. I'm coming out first. I mean, it's crazy. So they have to remove probably his fingers. Come on, little boy. And take out his brother out, Esau. Did everything they did. Took out the other brother, Jacob. Did everything they did. What, has ha- what, had- what happened after that is huge. Throughout their years of growing up, one, the father favored. Listen, because they had two different personalities. Just like if you have a sibling. Hardly no sibling is alike. They're all a little different, aren't they? Parents, aren't they? And Jacob was different than Esau. Esau was more rugged of a man. It doesn't make Jacob any less of a man. Come on. But for father, because there's some fathers that have their minds all wrong. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Well, you're going to play sports. Well, how about if he's not called to play sports? Okay? Well, you're going to fight in karate. What happens if he doesn't like to punch wood? You know, relax a little bit. Every child is different. You know, but us fathers, we get kind of intense like that. And he loved Esau because Esau was the one that fought, was the one that went out and hunted. Dad, I killed a bear. Yes, son. Let me smell you. You smell like the sun, like the wilderness. He loved his son. And then Rebecca, the mom, loved Jacob uh, uh, because Jacob stayed home. Mom, I, can I play Nintendo today? Just a little bit longer. Yes, my angel. As long as you're by mom's side. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. There's that one child that's by mom's side, man. That was Jacob. So wouldn't let go of mom's leg. He loved his mom so much that he helped her do laundry. Seriously. He helped her do the dishes. He even helped her cook the food that the brother brought. And the dad was over here like, you need to just put on some pants and, and go hunt with your brother. Why? He's cooking for you. Relax. One brother's hunting, the other brother's cooking. That's good, man. But sometimes we don't see it like that. And he grew up under that environment. And it started to affect his heart. So he sided more with his mom while the other one sided more with dad. Well, one day, they were older now in years. And I'll get to that way older. And one day he tricks his dad. I'm getting, I'm dying, I'm blind, I got to bless my son. You see, in those days it was very important to receive the blessing of the father. In those days, it was very important because the oldest son would receive the blessing and all the riches and everything that belonged to dad now belongs to you. So it was the day of the blessing. So the father says, go get me some game. Come back and I'm going to pour my blessing on you. Rebecca, the mom, hears it and says, son, put on hair on your skin. Put on the smell and deepen up your voice a little bit and pretend you're Esau. Pretend you're Esau and he does it and he says, Dad, here's the food I bought, I cooked, I caught for you. And the father says, you sound like Jacob, but you smell and feel like Esau. He says, well, I'm a little sick. It's me. A little nosy. A little nasal. He says, all right, my son, come over here so I could bless you. And he begins to pray over him and bless him. Well, a couple hours later comes the real son, the one that he was supposed to receive the blessing. He's like, Daddy, I brought it. You should see this ox, this deer, this thing I just killed, whatever. And he's like, what do you mean? I already prayed for you. He's like, what do you mean? I just got here from the field. He's like, I, I prayed for you a couple hours ago. And he's like, you're crazy. And then right then and there, it hit them. Jacob tricked my father. Jacob lied to me, my son. And I blessed the wrong son. And Jacob's in the background like, I got what I wanted, but I went around it the wrong way. One day, Esau's in the field and he's starving. He's almost dying because he's out in the field for so long. He didn't pack his Lunchables, and he's dying. And one day, because Jacob knew how sensitive he was when he gets weary like that with food, he cooks because he's a good cook. He's a chef. The other one's a hunter. And he brings this food, and he serves it on a platter, and he walks, Hey, brother, how art thou today? Oh, Jacob, Esau says, I'm dying out here. Can I have some of your stew, some of your soup so that I can live? He's like, well, you're my brother. Of course. Here you go. Wait a minute. 
before I give this to you, how about we do a deal here? I'll give you this food if you sell me or you trade it for your what? Your birthright. Give me your birth certificate. Let me write my name on it. And I receive whatever you should receive, the firstborn. And Jacob's like, he probably didn't even pay attention. Yeah, yeah, whatever. My brother's so crazy. He didn't even care about it. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's not really serious. And he did it. He shook hands. He eats the food. And now Jacob says, yes. I have the blessing. I have the birthright. When Esau saw that it became real and it was serious, Esau says, I'm going to kill my brother. Now here's my story. So what does Jacob do? Whenever you're going to get killed, you what? You run. <laughs> okay? Get out of the way. They got guns. Move. Okay? You run. And he ran a very long distance, very far, about 120 miles away. Very far. No, that was Elijah. Man, I got all these stories. All these studying confused. Very far away to a town far away. And he shows up to the first town, and I think it, the name's going to go up there. And he shows up to this place called Bethel. All right? And Bethel, he's there, and something happens one day in Bethel. As he's in Bethel, small, but you, you see it up there. As he's in Bethel, he's laying and he passes out and he sees a ladder and he sees angels and he sees God in the front of the ladder, on top of the ladder. And he says, Jacob, you see where you're sleeping at? This land, Bethel, that I give you, which if you study Bethel, it's in the land of Canaan, which is now modern day Israel. He says, this land that I give you, it's yours. Stay there. Don't move from this place. Watch this. I'm going to bless you here, Jacob, and you're going to have many children, and you're going to be so blessed. Watch this. And your children are going to bless all the families of the earth. Out of you, Jacob, are going to come nations. Don't move from Bethel. You're blessed here, right? Right? So he wakes up. <gasps> this place is the place of God. But then he hears his brothers coming for him. Guys, God already told him, I'm going to protect you and defend you here. Stay but what does he do? He runs to another town. The next town he runs to is Peneo. He runs to this town, Peneo. As he goes to Peneo, he's running. My brother's, uh, my brother's after me. He's going to kill me. He shows up there, and one day he's walking, and this being shows up in front of him, and they begin to fight and wrestle. As they begin to fight and wrestle, the man that he's fighting with touches him on his hip, and ah! Uh, dislocates. I don't know what kind of wrestling move he did, but he snapped his joints out, and now Jacob is in pain. His hip is dislocated so bad that the Bible says that for the rest of his life, he walked with a, with a limp for the rest of his life. How cool is that? Everyone's been walking on it, and he had it. It's original. And as he's walking with the limp, the, Lord, the person says, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. He says, you're right. But from now on, it should not be Jacob. I've changed your name to Israel. Wow, that's awesome. Because you've got to understand what the name Jacob means. Hey, Jacob, you deceiving, lying, cheating individual. Jacob. You sorry person of existence. Sorry. Your name now is Israel. Watch this. You went from sorry, deceiving cheats, watch this, to now prince. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I'll take the name change. I'm cool. Israel's my name. You're no longer Jacob, but you're Israel. You would think right then and there, wow, God's point. He's like, For surely this was God appearing to me. But then he finds out He's still being changed. A lot of things happened in between. He got tricked by his uncle. He married the wrong woman for 14 years. He was fighting for his wife. I mean, there's a, so much details. He was deceived after by his very own. He got to put it this way. Imagine marrying someone you thought you were going to marry that you love, and then you go up there, and you marry the wrong person. What the heck is this? After serving seven years for her, you have to serve another seven years. You wait 14 years for this woman you love. Can you imagine dating two sisters, marrying both sisters, and both sisters are your wives, and they're both in the same house? I, I mean, man, let's just behave for a second. That is crazy. I just married one sister. And, and he got tricked. But I'm not going to get into that. Then he runs again from Peniel. You would think, go back to Bethel where you're blessed. Amen? He doesn't run back to. He keeps running. Guess where he goes to now? To a town called Shechem. Shechem. Shechem was literally hell. Hell on earth. Have you ever had a day, a year, a month, a week that you said this week was hell? Okay, this city was hell for him. Let me tell you why. His daughter was Dinah, beautiful girl. She's walking one day. The son 
of the king of that land saw her. His actual name was Shechem. They named the city after his son. And he said, I like this girl. And he violated her. It got so bad that not only did his daughter get raped, but watch this, number two, his sons in the middle of the night went over there and committed murder and killed all the men of Shechem. Jacob's sons. When they come back, they're like, what did you do to me? My wife is, my, my daughter just got raped. My sons just committed murder. I'm going to die here in Shechem. He keeps running away. And finally in Shechem, he says, I can't deal with my life anymore. Ever been there? I just can't deal with this anymore. I can't deal with putting it off. I can't say I'll do it later. I need to get things right now. So what does he do? We're now in chapter 35. And he runs back to this place called what? Take a guess. Bethel. In Genesis 35, come on, guys, go there with me. I want you to know something as we get into this verse. Just because the Lord allows, come on, just because the Lord allows tough times in your life, listen, it does not mean that he's out to destroy you. It may just mean that he's out to realign you. That's it. Why is this happening to me? Watch this, watch this. Because if I don't allow this in your life, you're never going to get it through your head. Oh, never mind. Sometimes you think when we're in the middle of it, God, you suck. Yeah. God, that's not what? Fair. God, why did this happen in my family? And we put the blame on God. And we think he's out to destroy us. But in reality, down the line, and we get a different perspective, we realize he's not really out to destroy us. He's actually out to change us and to realign us to the person that he's called us to be. And Jacob is in that point of his life. God, this sucks. My daughter got raped as a father. That's still going to be the worst thing other than being killed. My sons committed murder. My wives are driving me nuts. My household is in shambles. Why, God, why? And God's like, I'm not destroying you. I'm just getting started with you. Come on. I'm realigning you, Jacob. Oh, man. So he comes to the point of his life in verse 1 of chapter 35. Everybody there? It says, then God said to Jacob, everyone, one, two, three. What does God say? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Right, that too. Underline that, circle that, put that in your notes. Listen to what God says. Jacob, arise. Arise. Go up to Bethel. Get out of here. Hey, I never called you to retire in Shechem. Who told you that you were allowed to retire and come over here and get a house by the lake? Get out of this land. And go back to Bethel like I called you to. Go arise to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you over there when you fled in the first place. Huh? When you fled from the face of your brother Esau, your brother. What is God really saying to him here? Just like he told Elijah. You remember last week, guys? Elijah what? Arrives. He told Elijah last week, arise, Elijah, get up and go back. And what does Elijah do? He arises and goes back to the cave. And then he goes back to him again and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Did you guys forget last week? Get out of the cave and go back again. Arise. And now here is Jacob. And God's telling him the same thing he told Elijah. Arise. Because I spoke to you over there, but you ran away. What is he really telling Jacob? Watch this. Write this in your notes. You're done running once and for all. I've stopped your running. Remember I gave you that hip. I crippled you so that you no longer run any longer from me. Wow. You're done running. Arise. Just like Elijah. The Lord tells Jacob, arise. He was a fallen man like Elijah. He fell. Elijah, we see he fell into isolation and depression and was defeated by the threats of others and he was defeated by his own thoughts, and the Lord told him to arise. But now we see Jacob, and Jacob is lost. He's in an area where the worst and the darkest time of his life took place. Do you guys know how many years it took? About 30 years Jacob was running. Guys, how long have you been running for? From what? For so what? Long. God's like, stop running. I love what he did. 
Let me go back. What are you running from? See, Jacob thought that he was running from him. Come on. Jacob thought that he was running from his brother Esau the whole time. But God was telling him what? You're not. What's been happening is, listen, you've actually been running from me, Jacob. You're done running. Come here. How many of you know that there are things that God has called you to face, like the lion outside and you not facing it because you see it as a lion? How many, most of the times, it's not really that lion that you're running from. It's what? It's the God that wants to deal with you, which is the reason why he put that lion outside. So when we're running from the lion, he's telling Jacob, you're not running from your lion. You're actually running from me. How many of you are running? Huh? Come on. Come back. Come back. Because Shechem is no better. Come on, you know the phrase, the grass isn't greener on the other side. Trust me, with Jesus, the grass doesn't get any greener and any more beautiful. So what happens next? He's basically telling them, are you not tired of running already? Are you not tired, church, even us, of always being down, arise? What a beautiful thing in the Old Testament to see God's resurrection power, even in the Old Testament, right? Arise, Jacob. He's always telling someone to arise. Think about this. Always. Whether it's Elijah, Jacob, Isaiah, Moses, everyone. Whether it's Lazarus, arise, Lazarus. Whether it's Jesus, arise, my son. God is really big into the resurrection. The resurrection wasn't anything new in the New Testament. The resurrection has been around ever since the Old Testament while he's telling people to resurrect, to arise from their state. He even tells the church to arise many times in the New Testament. I love this, that whatever state we are in, there is always hope and there is always room for a resurrection in our lives. I love that. I want you to know this today and write this in your notes. It's 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 14, what does it say, church? And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Arise, how? In Christ's power. That's how. Let's keep reading. How many of you are blessed? Verse 2 says, and Jacob said to his household, remember what just happened here. Get up, go, go back to Bethel. So in verse 2, in verse 2, Jacob goes home. And he says, honeys, honeys. <laughs> he doesn't just go home and say, girl. He's unfortunate to say, girls. Notice, unfortunate. All the men say, amen. My one wife is the best wife, right? <laughs> girls, come here. I got to sit with you and talk with you. And in verse 2, he says what to them? He says, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments, he tells them. I love verse 2. Because we see now, listen to what I'm going to tell you. We see the evidence of one who is done running. What is the evidence of one who is done running? Look at verse 2. They begin to put things in the right order again. I'm done running. What do you mean? I'm ready to confront things in my life. When you are done running, you are ready to confront. Come on, someone. So who does he confront? Girls. You got to stop worshiping other gods. You got to stop wearing what you're wearing. You got to stop doing what you're doing. Who says? The man of the house said. Because God told me. This is amazing. Verse 2. What is he really doing here? He's doing what... Someone does when they're done running, and God is showing us. He's tearing down to build up again. Come on. He's ripping the foundations of his life so that he could build it up new again. How many of you need to rip your foundations, not later, now, so that Christ could do something new in your life today? You know why some people don't do it, guys? Because they feel like it's time wasted. I feel like I wasted all those years if I do that now. Who cares? Scared to throw away the past, which they felt that's all they knew. Other people, they're just scared of what's to come, the change, and what's going to be new now in their lives. So people just don't confront it. People just continue saying, I'll do it later. Look at Jacob. What does Jacob say? He says three phrases that touched my heart. Ready? Number one, put away. Number two, purify. Number three, change. Are you guys with me? I want to make sure you're with me. Put away the gods, 
Purify your heart. Change your clothes. Change it. Let's go to verse 3. Because now we won't finish. I could just preach on verse 2 for hours. But verse 3 says this. After you've put away and you've purified and changed, look at verse 3. Let us, what? Hey. Come on, I woke up early in the morning too. Let us what? Yeah. Isn't it funny the one who was falling is now telling other people to rise up? Man, come on. Because God has a sense of humor like that. He would grab a no good junkie like us to what? To go touch some other no good junkies like them and say, come on. I was once there. Let's get up and go. <laughs> I love it. Who are you to tell me? Who am I to tell you? I'm the one that wore the same clothes, worshipped the same gods, and had the same heart. So you have no excuse. If I could do it, you can do it. Get up and let's go. Come on, that's awesome, man. Get up and rise, he tells them. Let us arise in verse 3. Let us go back up to Bethel. And right there, look what he says. Exactly what God told him in verse 1. I'm going to make an altar there to God. He's the one that answered me there on the day of my distress. And he's been with me in the way in which I have gone. He's been with me in the way in which I have gone. That means that he just confessed that even in Shechem, when his daughter was getting raped and when his sons were committing murder, he just confessed that yes, even there, God was with me. I just see the word. And I, uh, even there, God was with me. Let us arise. For the first time in the life of Jacob, listen, we see that he begins to lead. Come on, men. Rise up and lead again. Huh? Okay, no. There's a change in his life. There's a transformation from the way that he used to think to now the way that, the way that he used to carry himself. And, and now something changed in him. What changed? He begins to lead and lead his household. Come on, come on, come on. We're going. It's awesome. Look at verse 4. So they gave Jacob. Man, I could preach on marriage right now. I really could. Isn't it awesome when the man is placed in the right order, everything, the whole household just falls right back in order? And what did the women do? They did not argue with Jacob because they saw his heart. They saw that it was true. They saw that it was genuine. They saw that he began to leave. What did they start doing? Read the verse. What did they start doing? They gave him all the false gods. Okay, here, baby. Sorry, I was doing things wrong. You know what the woman really said there to Jacob? Come on. They gave him what? All the foreign gods which were in their hands, all the earrings which were in their ears, and, and they hid it all under this tree in Shechem. You know what they were saying? Whew. Finally, finally you got up and you took charge. Have it all. Finally, I'm ready to go where you've called us to go. Where are we going, baby? Wow. Praise God my wife is in the kids' room. <laughs> Hallelujah. All the men say. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I love to see how Jacob doesn't sell these gods. His wives give him all these things, and he hides it under a tree, and he buries it. He puts it in the ground, church. He doesn't sell them because, hey, if there's golden earrings and stuff, that's good money, man. You know what I'm saying? It's good money. <laughs> Yo, if you're going to get rid of some stuff, make some money off it, right? He just says, nah. I love to see that he doesn't make money off it, and I love to see that he doesn't give it away for free. Don't you guys like that? I like that. Instead, he takes hold of the jewelry and all that it, they have that's not from the true living God, and he begins to dig it in the ground, and he hides them in the ground. Come here. I only know of one thing that we put in the ground. The dead. Things that belong in the ground to be dug in there is the dead. What do you think, Abra what do you think Jacob was telling his wives, his children? And everyone in his household, these things what? They die here. We're never coming back. We're digging them in the ground. Did you guys catch that? Romans 13, 12 says what? Cast off. We just read it. Put away the works of darkness. What is he saying? What is Paul saying? Bury darkness. Get rid of it. Throw it in the ground. Don't allow it to come out again. Cast away the darkness. Amen? 
when I was in a, a when I wasn't a following Jesus, for you guys that do not know me, I used to be big into what is called hip hop. Hip hop is a very uh, it could be very good. It's a culture of very good things, but then at the same time, it could be very bad and evil. Well, I chose the evil side of hip-hop for many years. And I started to do what the rappers used to tell me to do because they were like my fathers. They were the ones that helped raise me. I was in a household full of women, and I needed a man to tell me what to do. So what did I do? I listened to manly music like hip-hop, which talked about degrading women. Yeah, manly music. Murder, drugs, sex, and that's what raised me. So I started to do what they did. My dad is evidence that one day I broke my, my wrist uh, my, my hand in a fight, and I said, I can't let this guy beat me up. And look how dis distorted I was. I got a blade, and I put silicone on it, and I stuck it in my mouth. So when I go to school, if he comes to fight me, and you know what I learned that from? From a man by the name of Tupac Shakur, who put a blade in his mouth. And I said, I'll just cut this guy if he fights me. Like, how can you think that evil? Because hip-hop raised me. And then I got to a point where I met Jesus, or Jesus met me, really. And the day that Jesus met me, and I kind of opened the door and said, okay, I'm cool to meet you. I had a stack of CDs in my room and posters on my wall. For a younger generation, there were groups like the Wu-Tang Clan, and on one side I had Biggie Smalls, and I had all these posters of all these different rappers all over my room. And I remember I used to getting dressed in my room, and when I used to get dressed, my mom was downstairs, a Christian woman praying for her lost son, and the songs I used to listen to was, When I Die, I Want to Go to Hell. Those are songs I used to listen to. I used to listen to songs like, hey, I'm high till I die. Put me in a casket, and I'm going to go down to my casket high. I mean, stupid. I was lost. But Jen Jesus met me. And I remember seeing all those posters. I started to rip them off the wall, and I threw them away. But I grabbed my CDs, and I said, there's a lot of money in these CDs. There's classics that today are classics. And I said, what do I do with all these CDs? I knew I was so convicted because I saw what they did to my life and how they fathered me and how demented I became. So I could not give them away. I knew that from a young age when I got saved. So I said, I might as well make this fun. I'll never forget what I did. I went outside and I balanced them against the fence. And at that time, I've always liked guns. And at that time, I had a BB gun because that's all I could have at that age. And I got a BB gun and I went in my own backyard in a range and I just went, pachoo, 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 and I started just shooting the CDs and just seeing the CDs and the plastics just go. So they were destroyed. I mean, I'm talking about so many CDs gone. Money. A lot of money. But I knew that those were gods. Listen, those were not just, oh, you're taking it overboard. That's just music. It's gotten into your head. You're loony. No, it's not. It was actually gods, and there were idols in my life who I worshipped. I dressed like them, talked like them, rapped like them, lived like them. I even put a blade in my mouth, my mouth like one of them just in case someone was going to fight me. I was going to slice them. I was demented just like the fathers of mine from hip-hop. I was. And I knew I had to destroy them once and for all because I couldn't allow those things to be idols and gods. You want to know what Jacob just did here? I can't give this to anyone else. Watch this. God forbid if they come around and my son comes back and finds this. I got to do away with everything that made me the way I am. What does that mean, church? Go down to the foundation and begin to look into it and rip out everything that you don't want your children or your children's children even to see. Come on. Jacob buried those idols. Because he wasn't thinking. Like, I would hate for Jacob to grow up in 15, Jacob, Jackson. Every time I wrote Jacob on the computer, it, it, wrote, it wrote Jackson. But I would hate for Jackson to be 15 when they say, Dad, I found this CD. And he starts listening to it. And I was like, what do I say now? Oh, God. Yeah, but you, should, but you have it here. Yeah, but, but you, ha you won't find that anymore. Amen? So what does Jacob do? He buries those idols because he wasn't thinking about picking up those things. He wasn't thinking about giving them to someone else. He knew the danger of them. And for most of his life, he knew the trouble that those things caused in his life. Like I did with, that, with those CDs, with that culture, with that music. Let's go read verse 5, 6, and 7 real quick. Is God speaking to anyone? 
And so they journeyed, because the man led. And as they journeyed, the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to a place called Luz, which is Bethel. That's another name for it. He comes to Bethel, which was in the land of Canaan. And he and all the people who were with him were there. In verse 7, and he built up an altar there, and he called that place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. And he fled. When we look at verses 5, 6, and 7, he begins to journey with his family. Remember Elijah? Hey, Elijah, this journey is to what? My last weekers. Too great for you. So now he travels down a journey like Elijah did. But now Jacob's journey, he now does not go alone. He now goes with the Lord. Or can I say this? He is now led by the Lord. Because he recognizes that the journey is too great for him, just like Elijah. So he goes back to the place where the Lord first appeared. What's the name of that place? Pop quiz. Five of you got an A+. Bethel. And as he shows shows up to Bethel, and as he shows up to Bethel, something amazing happens here. Let's keep going here. He goes to the place where the Lord appears to him and promises to bless him. I wrote this down in my notes because it really ministered to me. Have you ever walked out on God? Have you ever walked away from something that you know that he has put in your heart to do or to say? And you say, ah, not now. Huh? Well, Jacob knew this very well. and He was tired of doing that. Nah, I got to do this now. I can't. I can't do this later. So he finally gets it. And he couldn't run anymore. And he needed to align his trust and his faith in God. He couldn't put it to the side any longer. It was time for him to confront the lion. So what does he do? I must obey God. I have to put trust. I have to put my faith in order. I will not do it later. I must now learn to trust and be obedient to God. Now... Oh, how convenient, Jacob, now. Now, when my father, I'm sorry, Dad, I'm going to use you for an example. When my father first got saved, my family member said, Ah, see, ahora. Ahora has lasted for what? Five years. No es nada más para ahora. Es para siempre. Porque en Cristo... La vida cambiado se queda cambiado en el nombre del Señor. And that's the truth. Has he been perfect? Have you been perfect? Have we been perfect? Absolutely not. But have we walked off the track? Have we left the journey? Absolutely not. Oh, now, Jacob, you want to get things right. Don't you think it's a little too late? You're a little too old because I haven't told you his age yet, guys. Jacob is now in his hundreds and his 90s. He's an old man. He could have easily said, well, I've wasted my years. I've wasted my talents. I've lost it all. My daughter has already been raped. My sons have already committed murder. It's too late. Oh, Jacob, you've already went this far. Why would you even think about going back? You've already done this much wrong. You've already committed this much sin. Can I tell the church something? Listen to me. Later is better than never. I should have titled that the message. Later is better than never. And that is the God honest truth. Don't listen to the lies. Don't put it off anymore. Don't say, I'll do it later, Lord. We realign. We do it now. We look deep into the foundations of our lives. And I ask the church this. Now, where is our focus? Don't just get back in the word. Don't just get back in worship. Listen to me. Don't just get back into his presence. Can I say something to you? Let his word get back into you. Let his presence get back into you. Because you getting back into the word does nothing for you if you don't allow the word to get back into you. Come on, church. I know so many people that get into the word. But when you live their life, there's nothing about them that the word is in them. That's the truth. Let the word, let the presence, let this worship get into you. Hey, hey, I'm tired of being Jacob. The weight of this person. How many of you feel weight? 
is just too much for me to carry anymore. We're going to end in verses 9 through 12. I'm going to share another passage and then we'll end. As soon as I'm reading 9 through 12, the, the team might come up, but not yet. Give me a second. Let's read 9 through 12 together. Ready? Then God appeared to Jacob again. Everyone say again. What did he do again? Come on, I really want you to get this word deep. In. You see, I don't want you to just say, oh, that was a good word. I want you to leave here and say, wait, 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 that just changed my life. I love how he appears to him. What again? He appears again. What does that show us about God? He perseveres. He, cha- he chases you. Hey, hey, God is chasing the sinner like me. And we've always thought that we need to chase a God like him. And God's like, ah, you got this whole Christianity wrong. I'm the one that chases you. It's like when you're in love, huh? You chase her. You chase her. God's like, I'm in love. So I chase you. But even though I cheated on you, yeah, because I love you and I chase you. So he comes to him again. Hey, how many of you could thank God for the agains in our lives? <laughs> thank you, Lord, for coming what? Again. <laughs> I don't know where I'd be. And when he came from this area, Padam Aram, he blesses him again. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Didn't I tell you that a few years back, like 21 years ago? Yeah, it's true. You did tell me my name is Jacob. So why do you keep calling yourself Jacob? Your name shall not be called Jacob, but Israel. That shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am the God Almighty. Be fruitful, multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come out from you, shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. Can you imagine you dreaming and God tells you that? Hey, presidents are coming out of your What? Royalty. Kings are coming out of your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, your grandfather and your father. Look what he says to him. And to your children's children's children, I give it to you. I give this land. Guys, verses 9 through 12, this is not the first time that Jacob is confronted with the Lord. He says again. He had already been in Bethel years before. He wrestled with God there. The Lord had already spoken to him. How many of you the Lord has already Spoken to you. He blessed them already there. How many of you already were blessed over there? And now he's in his 90s or in his hundreds. And God confronts him again. Do you want to know why some of us are being confronted today? It's not necessarily so you can know who God is because he already confronted him. It's so that Jacob could know who what? Who he was. What's your name? Jacob, you're right. That's it. You're no longer Jacob. Stop it. And God wanted to confront him. Church, know who you are. Don't wait. Don't go your whole life ignoring God's voice. Come on. Just, just, I'm about to end. Just, just let this fall on your heart. Don't travel down the same road. Are you tired of traveling down the same road? Don't continue to make those same mistakes, church. What is he telling Jacob here? Jacob, turn back. Go to Bethel. Listen, as I get ready to end, no more. I'll do it later, Jacob. No more. What is he saying? Realign yourself. Listen, church, in Christ we benefit. In Christ, we see the full fruit of our labor. Yes or no? What does he tell Jacob? Jacob, now you be fruitful. You finally got it. You finally confronted the lion. When you confront the lion, church, now you can be fruitful. Now you can multiply, Jacob. Now nations will come out of you. Kings will come out from your body. Guys, we're talking about Jacob. No good, deceiving, filthy, slimy, worm Jacob here. A sorry individual. But God says, no, no, no. (laughs) Jacob, I came for you, Jacob. I love this. Do you know the book of Exodus? It's going to go up on the screen, chapter 3. And as we read in Exodus chapter 3, I love when Moses asks the Lord, 
Lord, you want me to go back to Egypt? They're going to kill me. Come here. I'm going to end. If I go back over there, Pharaoh's going to kill me, Lord. Catch this. So, Lord, who do I say has sent me to confront Pharaoh? Lord, who do I say has confronted, who's out to confront Pharaoh and who has sent me to deliver the Hebrew people? Who, Lord, do I say you are? You know what the Lord says to him? I'm going to ask you guys to stand up. And as we get ready to close, I want you to begin to open up your heart. And when Moses looks at him and says, Lord, what do I say? Everyone looking up at the screen, look at chapter 3, verse 24. You ready? And God said to Moses, I am. Come on. I am who I am. And that's who you should tell the children of Israel. Tell them that the I am has sent you. And then he doesn't stop there. The next verse is better than that verse. Are you guys ready? Look at verse 15. So then God said to Moses, This is what you're going to tell the Israelites. That the Lord God of your fathers, come on, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, who? Jacob. He has sent you. One of my favorite preachers expounded on this. And I love this because he says, the God of Jacob. Why did he not say the God of Israel? Did he not change his name? But instead he says, no, no, no. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. And Israel, right? No. And also the God of Jacob. He doesn't pick the good part of Jacob. He he doesn't choose to say the God of Israel, which would have been right. Which would have been, ah, I get it. Israel. But instead, God says, Moses, the God of Jacob. See, if you were God, you wouldn't want to associate with Jacob. You're going to want to say the God of Israel. But God does not do that. God associates himself with the bad. He associates himself with Jacob, not Israel. What is he really saying in this passage, church? What he's saying is, I'm for you. I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of the deceiver, of the liar, of the cheat, of the murderer, of the adulterer, of the homosexual, of the, of the, of the no scheming good. No, I'm the God of those that are lost, that are in darkness, those that are in the miry clay, those that are confused. I am their God. Listen, I am the God of the outcast. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and yes, I dare to even say I am the God of Jacob. If it wasn't that that he wasn't the God for me, a modern day Jacob, that's what I am. I would have never been realigned to become the Israel he called me to be. Church, don't just get to Jesus today. Let Jesus get to you. Jesus was asked the same thing. Did you know that? Luke 5 says this. After Jesus went out, he saw a tax collector. His name was Levi. And he was sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me, Levi. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others, other thugs, reclining at the table with Jesus. Look at verse 30. And the Pharisees, the scribes began to complain.
they began to grumble in their hearts and they began to say, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, Those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What is Jesus saying? I came for Jacob's. I came for Jacob's. I didn't come for Israel's. I came for Jacob's to transform them into Israel's. I came for Jacob's. I'm in the business to do life with Jacob's. I'm in the business to be called the God of Jacob. I want the glory. I want the honor. I want it all. I came for Jacob's like you. And what does he come for? He comes to realign them. To give them a purpose. To give them a hope. To give them a future. To give them joy again. So I end with how I started. Jacob's in the house. Cast off. Put away the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Walk properly in the day. Not in revelry or in drunkenness and lust. Strife or envy. But Jacob's in the building. Put on Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Do not fulfill its lust. Jacob's, arise. Come back to Bethel. Make your foundation. And let my God get back into you again. Come on. Worship me.